to the weekly message from Angel of Joy Lutheran Church, an ELCA congregation located in Lufkin, Texas. Pastor Paul Guy and the family of Angel of Joy invite you to join us for worship at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you should find yourself in our neighborhood, please enjoy this message and visit our website at angelofjoy.org. Actually, I said you may be seated. I didn't say you have to be. And if you want to to really show utter respect, I guess you would be willing to stand for the whole sermon. <laughs> More humor. Dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. On this beautiful Sunday morning, we have gathered together to celebrate our Lutheran heritage. It all began some time ago when Martin Luther posted those 95 theses, which may be better known to most of you in the original Latin, Disputatio pro declaratione virtus indulgentiarum. Wow, it's been a long time since my Latin class. Uh, these 95 theses were posted on the, the church door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. The date was October 31st, 1517. A long time ago. But some things are kind of timeless. In those days, those big wooden doors served pretty much as the community bulletin board. And a lot of things were nailed up there temporarily. But this caught the eye of the public in a way that nothing had before and probably never has since. You see, Luther, as a professor of Bible at that fine Wittenberg University, had been studying the New Testament, and he arrived at the radical conclusion that God's salvation was a free and loving gift to sinners everywhere, not just the theologically elite or those who had the the good sense to spend their life savings hoping to sway God's favor. It was something that was to be received simply and wholly through faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Since at that time, the Vatican and the Roman Catholic Church in Germany was doing a bang-up business selling something called indulgences to the poor people of Germany. You see, that was an official document that was, was stamped and carried the seal of the Pope himself that purported to forgive sins to whoever purchased that document. Luther felt it was a good time to hold a, a... well, a very reputable theological debate among the education, the, the, the scholars of his community, students and professors and priests, where he could point out that those certificates of forgiveness were actually just plain worthless. Nothing but documents forged by the Pope to raise money for the church. That it accomplished. But for salvation... Luther said no. But since that was the the official line of the church, 
He felt the good starting point was to have a, a nice public debate over that, that um, policy of the church. And the document that was nailed to the church door was an invitation to everyone to come and, and discuss, or at least listen. The thing about it was that Martin Luther thought there were quite a few traditional traditions and theological points where the church had gone astray over the centuries. It had been 1,500 years since Jesus ascended into heaven, and in that time, there were a lot of things that weren't biblical that were taking place, simply because nobody could remember how they got started, and no one had the audacity to say, hey, that's not biblical, we, we shouldn't do that. If it worked, if it worked for the church, then they hung on to it. And certainly those indulgences fell under that category. Luther thought it was as good a time as any to start a reform movement within his beloved church. And he thought the Pope and the other church big shots would be in total agreement with him. Luther was really sharp, but on that point, he was overwhelmingly naive. You see, pretty much as you might expect, the officials of the Catholic Church weren't amused at all because it would cost them a good bit of income if Luther were, in fact, able to get do away with those indulgences. Now, there were a lot of intriguing developments over the ensuing months and years, but the gist of it was that Martin Luther was advised in no uncertain terms that he'd better recant or take back his objections and criticisms or he would be in big trouble, spelled with a capital B-I-G. Now, Luther was a man of deep faith and convictions, and he refused to take back what he had written or preached. He said, well, wait, maybe I, I would consider taking some of it back, or I might be willing to at least debate the points if you can prove to me that it's justified by the Bible. Now, the Catholic Church leaders weren't about to waste their time arguing with a pain in the neck like Luther. And rather, after a couple of, of conferences, including the Diet of Worms, some of you had uh, ate some worms this morning before church, or at least read the sign or the notice by the bowl of worms. Um, that was actually a place, Worms, in Germany. And a diet was a, was a debate or a discussion. And in the end, Luther was given the chance to take back, and he said that unless he could be proven in error, then he wouldn't take back anything. God help me. And so they did what was expected. They excommunicated him. And that meant if you didn't take communion like we do this morning, you don't get forgiven and you don't get to go to heaven. It was, in effect, a condemnation to hell. And it meant that he was no longer a member of the church in good standing at all. So that's what happened. What they really wanted was to take Martin Luther back down to Rome, where the church headquarters were, and to make an example of him for others by burning him alive at the stake. But because Luther had some very good and very powerful friends in Germany, 
He was never captured by his enemies. But he was able to explain satisfactorily to others how the Bible, the word of God, clearly showed that God had already paid the price. He didn't have to buy a document. God already did that for you. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, a price beyond all prices. And that because of Jesus' resurrection at Easter, those who accepted Christ, who accepted the free gift of salvation through faith, they would come to live with Christ forever in holiness and joy in heaven, beyond their wildest dreams. God would show his deep love for them. So, at that time, long ago, the great Protestant Reformation began in Germany, and Martin Luther today is known as the father of the Protestant Reformation. Well, fortunately, a lot of things have changed down through the centuries. And today, although the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutheran denomination still exist as distinct and separate churches, many of our church bodies, including the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America and the Roman Catholic Church, are on good and mutually respectful terms. Long before even the Roman Catholic Church was formed, God had established with his followers something called a covenant. So long as the people would love and honor God, God would remain faithful to them, and he would shower his love on them. As every Lutheran confirmant knows, a covenant is something like a promise on the part of two parties to honor that relationship at a mutual level. If anyone breaks their end of the bargain, the whole contract is broken. The thing was, the Israelites broke that covenant over and over again. And God always seemed to resurrect it. He always seemed to reaffirm his commitment to them. There's a Lutheran spider crawling across my notes here. Well, that didn't help. Okay. Yeah. Ultimately, at that time, after the Israelites had even been, well, their country had been defeated in war by the Syrians and by the Babylonians, and the people had been carted off to a foreign land, and for decades and decades, there they languished until the Persian emperor Cyrus returned them, restored them to their land of Israel. But now it was the Romans who had taken over the country. And the people were again crying for deliverance, kind of like they did way back at the time of Moses in Egypt. And during that time around the convergence of what we call B.C. and A.D., God finally did the ultimate thing. He sent his son into this world, not just to set people straight on God's relationship with them, but to ensure that forever after sin would be defeated and people would have the freedom to come to God and to know true and eternal life. There's a promise that God did not intend to break It would stand forever. Well, 
I suppose if I were to tell the whole story of what followed, we'd be here today a lot longer than any of you really want, so I'll just sort of cut to the chase. While the Christian church and its many denominations still today seek to the best of their understanding to remain faithful to that covenantal relationship with God, every believer must make a choice for him or herself to make and keep that promise relationship with God. In Lutheran doctrine, we believe that God claims us formally as his own in the sacrament of holy baptism. It doesn't really matter if you're baptized in in a Lutheran church by a baptismal font with a basin of water, the pastor sprinkling, as they say, water on your head, or if you go down to the the Natchez River and get dunked all the way under. It doesn't matter how much water. What really matters is that God is claiming you. Now, through the course of our lives, we have the opportunity to continue in that relationship. In the Lutheran Church, we have something called confirmation, or in other words, affirmation of baptism. If you were baptized as an infant, then someone else made a promise on your behalf. But as you grow older and you learn for yourself what God has done for you through the Bible, through Luther's small catechism, through whatever that clever pastor has to instruct you with, all of this information comes together and you, when you're about the age of, oh, 13, 14, you, you renew that promise. You say, okay, Now I can promise for myself, I can make this vow that I will be faithful to the God who promised to be faithful to me. It doesn't always happen. And it doesn't always... It's not sort of like a a once and for all time shot that you take. It's one that has to be renewed every day. Luther said we need to die to sin every day. And the trouble is, in this day and age, there are so many distractions that water down our relationship to God. You know, we make that vow, we, we bring a child, or we come ourselves to be baptized. And later on, with that act of, of confirmation, we renew that vow. But the problem is, who knows what tomorrow is going to bring? And in, even in our, relation, in our marvelous nation, the Constitution has come to be interpreted as saying that religion really needs to butt out of public life. There are exceptions, of course, but the Christian churches are fighting for time in people's lives today with school activities and athletics and social commitments, outdoor hunting or fishing or motorsports, or amusement parks, and so on and so forth, and you can add to that list until you're blue in the face. And you can be sure that even as I'm speaking right now, there are plenty of shoppers over at Walmart, just right up the road there, who aren't dressed for church. The list goes on and on. There's so many distractions, so many things that cause us to break our end of the promise. 
Moreover, music and motion pictures and television shows and public entertainment have given our society a whole different set of values than those that were set forth in the Bible and Sunday school and vacation Bible school and listening to the preacher on Sunday morning speak from the pulpit. And the attitude is that so long as you don't hurt anyone, pretty much anything goes. Like I said, it's a tough time for the churches, but it's even tougher for young people. The influences they have, the role models that are set before them every day, not the ones that necessarily their parents or grandparents or teachers would love to have them have. Nevertheless, those role models are there that are setting forth an ideal that's not very ideal at all. Illegal drugs, sexual liberation, gangs. It's a terribly enticing and perplexing world that they live in today. And it's become absolutely easy for these people to live their lives apart from God, Jesus Christ, and the church. At the time of the Protestant Reformation, many thanks to Martin Luther himself, people began to hear and learn that God is very real and is a loving divine Father who has taken it upon himself to reach into their lives. Even the lowliest peasants and to show his care for them. God made a promise through the death and resurrection of Christ, that he would always be there for those who accepted his love, always there for the ones who wanted him to be a part of their life, though he wouldn't put them in handcuffs and and force them to go his way. He gives us the freedom to choose, the liberation to go our own way or to go with him. It was a promise that would give hope and comfort throughout their precarious lives. And you know what? We, too, are a people of the promise, the very same promise. God has said, I will never forsake you. I will never stop loving you. I will never stop wanting you to be with me forever in all blessedness and joy and peace. I won't make you come with me. But, oh, I want you so much to choose that for yourself, and even for your loved ones. Please, and I promise. Well, Christ has vowed to be with us always. You can look it up, the very end of St. Matthew. Lo, I am with you always. Not just to be in the same vicinity. He didn't say, I'll be in the same vicinity as you always, or I'll be on the next street corner, wave, and I'll wave back. He would be there to love us, to be a part of our lives, to bless us, to share his time with us. And if we are ourselves faithful to the promise, we will at last discover how completely faithful he has been to us all along. And then ultimately, we will see him face to face, just as he promised. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please provide feedback on the iTunes podcast page 
and visit our website at angeljoy.org for more information.